So any comments or observations on trying to stay with the object while you are doing things? Yeah. Um, even if I'm staying with the object, um, I, my awareness keeps falling into embodiment. Uh -huh. Like I'm noticing my body from you know, long years of trying to become fully embodied. Right. And also kind of, um, you know, sort of expansively being aware of space at the same time. Is there anything wrong with, as long as you stay with the object, that there's, you notice other things as well? Or? Sure. So the question is, it, when staying with the object, she's noticing other things too, and is there anything, is that okay? Is there anything wrong with that? Yeah, so you, when we're moving around, we have to have awareness on what we're doing. There's no other way to complete the task of moving around and doing things. So, Or else we walk into closed doors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. It's what we, especially this becomes useful on retreat, but it's something you can kind of play with throughout the day, even as in, as a, in a householder practice, you know, as a, as a person who's doing things. Um, the continuity part of part of what supports this practice is continuity. So having even some percentage of our awareness on the object, whatever that object is, while we're the part of our awareness, maybe the majority of our awareness is on other things, is fine during those segments when we're moving around. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be able to to do to move around. So absolutely. Okay, shall we go on? Yep. So um, this practice fits into the overall picture of Theravadan Buddhism in a certain way that we'd like to, to lay out. Well, and Buddhism in general, actually, all this. Yeah, well, if you stages. look at Tibetan, we, we, um, yeah. we could add our, our favorite fourth category, but we won't yeah. get into that today. Right. So really the three are sila, samatha, and vipassana. And, and this falls within the category of samatha. So just to give you a context, the sila is um, the, f the first most basic stage of practice, which really, in our opinion, all, all of us should be engaging in rigorously. And a lot of times sila is talked about as ethical principles or morality. Um, morality. We don't think of it like that at all. We really would like to offer another way of thinking about it. And Steve Armstrong and Kamala Masters, who teach here and elsewhere a lot, uh, we really like how they refer to it as living in harmony without regret. So how am I living in harmony with others, with the planet, with my practice? With myself. With myself in such a way that I don't have regret, that I'm not doing harm, and that my life as I'm living it as a householder is really embodying my uh, experience and my aspiration on the cushion and on retreat. So this to us is really an important practice, um, looking at how our life aligns with what we really know inside. <laughs> what are we eating? What kind of media are we taking in? What kind of, how are we engaging in our relationships with other people? And, and to us, all three of these stages come back and circle on each other. So sila is something that it's the foundation, but it's also we can see the fruits of our practice in how we live our lives as well. So that's sila. Um, 
And we really, the word we would like to use for it is wholesomeness. So that's another way to think of it. Am I living my life in a wholesome way where I don't have any regrets and I'm doing the things that I should be, that I can really feel clean about how I'm living? It can also be a, a kind of a filter we look at choices. What's the more wholesome choice here between these two choice possibilities? And, it, and as Tina said, the great thing about the seal is it really allows us, it allows our practice, it allows the level of realization to find expression how are we expressing really that aliveness that we're having within our own spiritual practice? In a way, the sila gets back to the embodiment. How am I behaving in the world in a way that reflects my practice? And then samatha, which is really what we're focusing on today, translates can translate as, as concentration or serenity. And within the bigger context is often called the purification of mind. So um, really here what we're doing in, the, in any concentration practice is really focusing on purification of that internal mind stream. So in all of the concentration practices, we're really turning away from the world. We're turning away from phenomena, both internal, our thoughts, and external and materiality. And we are orienting our consciousness towards the mystery. So there is a way where in this practice, it's, and I'll talk about Vipassana in a minute and how, how they're different. We're really, um, just by returning to one object over and over and over, we're deconditioning all of our attachments to what we think we are. And in that act, we're really, we're orienting towards something that's beyond well, how we know ourselves as the personality or the body and what goes beyond that. And there are, there are ways that we can know ourselves and what we are that is beyond the body and the personality. And it sometimes is called in Buddhism the unconditioned or the ground of being. It's that orientation, if you said, towards the mystery. Right. So as we undertake this practice, whether the practice results in, in fruition or attainments or not, we're still orienting in that direction that's really, in some ways, going outside of ourselves. And this is why like, we, we're involved in a group of, called the Neurodharma group that has neuroscientists and Dharma teachers. And, um, some of the really interesting brain research that has to do with concentration practice is, shows the stability of mind that can happen where a gun can be fired right next to a meditator's head and they don't even register uh, a reaction to that because there's so much stability in the mind stream. So that's what's, so really we're purifying the mind stream like just the way that um, a water filter purifies water. We're really creating a mind stream that then is capable and has the capacity to understand reality in a different way. So when we go on to then Vipassana, Vipassana is really about purification of view. And it's about investigating and really seeing phenomena as they are without the filter or the veils of the ego and the personality to distort that. So when we have a purified mind stream and then we turn it towards phenomena that are arising every single microsecond of every single day, whether that's phenomena here or whether that's phenomena here, we can cut through 
or there's the potential to cut through our normal perception of those phenomena in a way that allows us to be closer to what we are fundamentally underneath the personality and the physicality that will someday go. So this, is, this just gives you a sense of, of the differences in the practices and, um, and what we're doing, what's being cultivated. In Vipassana, we're really um, being with things as they are. So we're cultivating the ability to be with whatever is, which is very important. In the Samatha, we're, we're deconditioning our attachment to our story. So we're, we're deconditioning the habituated patterns of going back and letting things pull us off all the time, that we, things that we think we are, but actually we aren't those things. So hopefully you're starting to get a feel for the difference in how the two can work together. And exploring the Samatha a little bit more, the, as Tina said, the Samatha is really, uh, it's, it's having a single solitary meditative object and we focus on that object to the exclusion of everything else. So, and, and as Tina also said earlier, with, within the Buddha's framework, th- there are 40 Samatha subjects. So the idea wasn't that we just did the breath, although this, this is the, the entry point typically in, in most meditation. But again, we're focusing on the breath at the Anapana spot and everything else is secondary. So that, that's how this practice starts. And you can think about it like, uh, I read somewhere that around New Year's, the health clubs and gyms have the massive sign-up of people with New Year's resolutions. And of course, by, by March, most of them are gone. But uh, you th- think about going in the gym when you haven't been for a while and you pick up a weight that may, may seem like, oh, this is gonna be really light. And you pick it up and you say, oh my goodness, that's much heavier than I thought it was. And you find you can only lift it a few times. Well, like this practice, every time you go back to the gym, every time you pick the weight up and you, and you exercise with it, you get stronger, you get more capacity, and you can lift it more and more and eventually get, go to higher weights. And so like this, we're focusing on the breath at the Anapana spot to the exclusion of everything else. And each time we come back, we're in effect focusing that muscle of concentration, if it was a muscle. We're, we're, we're focusing our concentration and ability, and as Tino was saying, we're, we're choosing, we're electing to cultivate a disinterest, a neutrality in our patterning, in the things that pull us off and um, are ongoing in our mind stream as entertainment sometimes, or distraction. So, with the Anapana practice, the Anapanasati practice, again, we're, we're focusing on the Anapana spot, so it's from the exterior of the nostrils down to the upper lip. We mentioned before it can be the region. Some people, they can feel it as a, as a territory, and for others it's a very distinct spot that may change, but there is a particular spot for some reason that's where their awareness is drawn. So it doesn't matter which that's true for you. We always have to say this, though, that it's, it, it, isn't, it isn't the characteristics of the breath. So we're not looking to see te- the temperature, the movement, the, all these different qualities, which uh, those of you who have done the insight practice, that's part of what you're, you've learned to do. We're, we're unlearning that for this practice. We're just letting the breath move across the, the breath, uh, excuse me, across the Anapana spot. Yeah, and, and we don't we don't have to unlearn it. We're just putting right. it temporarily aside. Really, right. that's all we're doing. We're not noting. So those of you who use noting as part of the practice, you're not noting 
what's going on. I mean, the county is a little bit like noting, but you're not having to note whether it's hot or cold or any of those things either. Right. And one of the metaphors we use is a toll taker metaphor. And you've all crossed the bridges here and, and seen the toll takers. And it's like that's, that's our function. Our function is in this toll booth and each car going by is like the breath going by. Where we have this little window we're paying attention to and we're waiting for cars to pass in front of the window. We don't actually leave the booth and go looking for cars. We don't get in cars and drive away. We stay in our booth. And what does the toll taker do when there's no breath, when there's no cars, is they wait. We do the same thing. If we're, if we're at the object, if we're, if we're at the Anapana spot waiting for the breath and we can't detect it, we wait more. We, just, we keep the awareness there, we bring the attention there, and over time we do start noticing the breath, we start noticing the cars go by, and we realize this is actually fairly a simple instruction. <coughs> we just want to make it more complicated typically in our minds. So, but it's the settling that happens with that is what we're, we're looking to do. And it, we mentioned it before, but it's, it's important if you have done other practices like this when, when doing this practice to really put that aside. We sometimes have people come to us and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of Vipassana meditation or metta or shikantaza, the zazen or something else. And once I really get settled, I'm going to switch over. And we have to tell them, no, you can't do that. You need to really start with this from the start because this develops in its own way. It has its own uh, integrity and sequencing of, of development. And, and uh, so we need to come to it very fresh and allow it to unfold the way it's going to. So the, the object is the breath. And to get back to the question about the Anapana spot, um, we don't follow the breath in the way that, like some of you who practice Vipassana may already use this area as your main point, but you also may follow the breath in. Those things, those are the, the differences between this and how you might work with the breath in Vipassana. So um, if possible, outside of the body, so even to go into the nostril isn't, is it's encouraged to, to have the awareness of the breath be somewhere in the region between the upper lip and the nostrils. And it can be on the rim of the nostrils on the outside. That's, that seems to work. But when it gets in, it just doesn't develop the same way. Yeah, because so, then there's more of an in-out, and that becomes more of the object. And, and it's a little deceptive because we also will say it's not the skin. Because, mm -hmm. again, our minds are so clever, we want to grab onto all these other things that will be easier. So we do notice the breath at the skin, that's correct, but the skin is not the object. We're not trying to pay attention only to that. It's, mm. that. it's that breath that we're really most interested in. It just happens to be showing up next to the skin. So it's, it may sound like a fine point, but it's, mm -hmm. we mention this because people have gotten themselves down that path and it just, the practice doesn't start unfolding naturally because of that. So. I'm um, sure. <clears throat> is it a concept? The space here. I'm sorry, I came in late. I don't know the translation for mm -hmm. Anapana, or whatever the name was. Is right. it a concept? Mm. Or is it experience? The, the question is area. the question is, is the area, the Anapana spot between the nostrils and upper lip, a concept? Or what was it? The, mm. Or is it an experience? Or experience. Physical, is it physical or, or is it uh, conceptual? That's the question. Yeah, we would really encourage you to have it be experiential. It's not like we're imagining the breath or 
any of that. But even the word breath, whether it's in Vipassana or this, the word breath is a concept because basically we've just got molecules going. There's molecules here, there's molecules here, they're just moving, you know. So that's kind of another level of the conversation, but we're not, the breath would be the breath as you know and experience it, not sort of an idea of it. And, and we're also trying not to uh, affect the breath. We're not trying to make it uh, more pronounced or softer or harder or anything. Or do we're, anything we're trying to it. establish ourselves and be with the natural breath at this spot. So again, but, but, but quite right, the experiential is really what we're looking for. It's, it's yeah. really, we can almost say it's being with the breath, but you know, we found whatever language we use, somebody doesn't quite like the way it is or it in, interprets it a little differently. So you know, language always fails all these things, but uh, if you can just imagine, we're, we're just being, present. We're just being yeah. present to the experience of the breath crossing here. That makes so sense? So it's not, not so much the position, even though that's important, it's the focus. But it's the breath itself, as you said. Right. I mean, you're not think the breath is not like part of the whole room. It's exactly part of your body, and even that, you're not focusing on your body. It's something very select right here. It's very it's select, not in, correct. It's not out. It's just there. <coughs> right. It's yeah. Not in or I mean, out. you it's might notice there. it differently <coughs> as it's moving, but yeah, you're you're just being with it in this area. What what that allows for over time is a real sense of the settling. It's such a simple object. I mean, the, the Saidao, he really, for a long time in the practice, he will mainly give one instruction, which is focus here. And he points and, to the Anapanasana. And he, he points there, or sometimes he touches his lip. Um, focus here, and really, that is all we're doing. It's kind of ridiculously simple. Um, and, and maybe Brian will talk about that later <laughs> during his section. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, one more and then we'll go on. I think you had your hand up first. I just kind of wanted to follow up on that because uh, for me, I, I physically experienced my breath. And so the, the movement of molecules, where they contact my sensors on my nose, on my lip, on my body. So I can physically experience the breath or I can think about the breath as a non-experienced thing. So when it comes to tying that to a spot on my body, I naturally gravitate to where I'm physically having the experience. So yeah. saying I'm, I'm going to take it from the inside of my nose or from my chest, I'm going to move it to where I physically experience on the surface of my body. Right. So I'm kind of, yeah, that's good. So I'm, I'm, but I'm not, so I, wasn't, I was confused by am I looking for where I'm physically experiencing it on the external of my body or am I looking for where I am mentally experiencing it where it is not contacting my body in this region. Yeah. So, so the question mm -hmm. is about the experiential, that the experience could be both an experience of our thinking about the breath, or it could be uh, experience of the actual physical contact of the breath on the external of the body, and it's the second. It's the, it is the physical contact of it in this area, in the Anapana spot area, that's what we're looking for. Is yeah, so you're quite right. If if it's if you find yourself thinking about it, you probably need to shift to the actual physicality of it. Yeah. That's why I say you know, we have such clever minds it's really just sort of show up and, and pay attention, watch the breath here, but we have to create all this language around it because our mind tries to subvert it into all these very interesting 
practices? It, what we found is that if people do the practice long enough, all of this becomes a non-issue, really. So, um, especially on retreat, we've, we've had people come who were sent to us, who came or were sent by their teachers to, to develop concentration, who literally couldn't, felt like they couldn't stand, stay on the object for more than three breaths. <coughs> and these are, you know, 20-year meditators, some of them. And um, all these things, even people who, who came, who have come with their kind of history, over time have been able to find a resting place. I would say, say it like that. Okay, so let's talk about what, what really is concentration then, since this is a concentration practice. What do we mean? What are the levels of it? How does it manifest? And the word concentration, unfortunately, is a word that we use in our lives in everyday language, which is a little bit unfortunate because a lot of times it has a certain connotation with it that has a lot of efforting behind it, a lot of striving and sort of, um, uh, yeah, very, very strivey kinds of energy. Um, when we're driving and traffic's heavy, oh, I have to concentrate, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, we would like to offer another way of holding the idea of concentration, which is that it is really a natural faculty that's already inherent in the mind. So it's not something we have to go out and get. It's not something that isn't already a faculty that we have a capacity for. It's just being, as Stephen talked about, the muscle. It's a muscle that may be well used or may not be as well used that we can cultivate. It's not like the muscle isn't already there. So the muscle's already there of concentration. It's just how much have we actually cultivated it, the strength of it, through the unification of our awareness. So, so we really hold concentration as unification of mind. That's really how we uh, think of it and also what we've seen in ourselves and other people in their experience. So as we're just coming back over and over to this object, again and again, building that muscle, what's happening is that our mind stream is collecting and becoming a lot more unified. And that's really what's, what's happening with a concentration practice, really with any meditation, but in particular with, with this. So um, there's three different levels of concentration, deepening levels or strengthening levels of concentration. I'll talk about each of those. And I'll use for a metaphor a flashlight, one of those camping flashlights that um, can be pulled up so that it's more like a lantern and then you push it down and it goes out the end and then you can make it more and more sort of focused. So the three levels are momentary, access, and absorption. Those are the three levels. And, and I'll talk about how those manifest with a concentration practice, like what we're doing today, and also with a momentary practice, which is like Vipassana or Shikantaza. Each of these, the first two levels are also po possible with say, a momentary the, the mind, concentration. The, the absorption, another term for it is jhana. So yeah. um, in terms of jhana practice, that is the third level of Right. of concentration, so right. it's important to make the distinction. Yeah, so the first level then is momentary concentration, and this is also sometimes called neighborhood concentration because, or I'm sorry, no, no, at, um, uh, preparatory concentration, because you're really just preparing. <laughs> this is what happens 
a lot in our daily practice and we're, we're sort of preparing to have a deeper level arise. And with concentration practice that we're doing here, um, the momentary happens when we're starting to be able to stay with the object a little bit more. Maybe we're getting through, we're counting eight, and eight to one, one to eight, and we're having a little bit more continuity moment to moment with the object. Now there's also momentary, momentary meditation practices. So Vipassana would be in that category. So if you look at the two categories of meditation in any tradition, those are the two. And in a momentary practice, really the, the factor that is continuous is the present moment. But the actual object that we are resting our awareness on will be changing. So like in Vipassana, ultimately when we have choiceless awareness, whatever is predominant in our awareness is what our awareness is resting on. So like right now I'm hearing my voice, so that's in my awareness and I just noticed my foot touching the ground and now I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. So that's, you can see, those were all different things that were in the, my awareness at that moment. So they were changing. What's continuous is the present moment. And shikantaza is also like that in Zen, in, in Dzogchen, in the Tibetan Buddhist practice is momentary. So there's a number of practices that have an object that is changing. So just to, as we sort of walk down this path to give you a sense of the two. So in a momentary concentration practice, same thing. We're able to be with the object more moment to moment. So this is more like the lantern, where our awareness is going out in a lot of different directions. But there's still, we still have the same awareness no matter where it's going. What's the yeah. second kind of general meditation practice? So we have concentration and momentary. Objects. So, so the the two objects. Well, you said there are two different kinds of meditation. One is concentration. One is concentration, and one is meditation with a momentary object. So, really, the difference is mainly the object. So, like in the object, for what we're doing, it pretty much doesn't change. I see. So, somebody had asked me at, at the break about looking at a candle. That's you know at a flame. That's a concentration practice. Metta, when it's taken to its sort of full flower, the metta practice is a concentration practice. And absorption wouldn't happen except in the concentration. Right. So that's where you, because with a momentary object that's changing, there is no possibility of having a full absorption. I'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, so that's the, the first level is momentary concentration. Then the next level is access concentration, which is also referred to as neighborhood. So, so now we're getting some access to um, different, um, to the purification of mind and to different phenomena that can start arising when our concentration deepens. Nat natural phenomenon that arise. That are byproducts, right. byproducts of the concentration. So in this, we're starting to be able to stay with the object longer and longer. Maybe the hindrances are dropping, so we're not finding we're being pulled off. We're not are the patterning that may normally come up in our meditation has subsided and on retreat people may be able to stay on the object for for a really strong access concentration we sort of use the gauge as 30 minutes without going off the object or without going off other than just very briefly 
So that would be sort of at the higher end of access concentration. So there's a whole range of access concentration in, um, with a stable object that becomes where you're now really settling. And there's even can become a point where our awareness can uh, lock into the object, like on retreat. This wouldn't happen in a daily practice, mm -hmm. but on retreat, there can be a point where you are, your awareness is, your, your mind has unified to the point where it's fairly easy to stay with the object. Now, in a momentary practice, we can also have access concentration. So this is totally possible with Vipassana. And some of you may have experienced and, this. And the Shikantaza and, and Shikantaza and, and Dzogchen. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> where really, and, and at a high level of access concentration, this is where it gets hard for people to distinguish the difference between access concentration and a full jhana absorption. And without a teacher who really knows how to distinguish those, it can be the high level of access concentration you may not have hindrances hardly at all. And you still could be in access concentration. A person could be experiencing a lot of what we call the jhana, well, we don't, but what are called the jhana factors, which I think you're gonna talk yeah, about later, so. um, where it gets pretty pleasant. We're on pleasant. the object. We, I mean, we have people on our retreats, literally, who come and who've never in their lives sat more than 45 minutes. And we don't make anybody sit ever longer than an hour an hour I mean on our retreats an hour is usually on the longer ones we have one hour sittings but people are coming in and they're sitting somewhat easily for two or three hours because of the access concentration really kicking in and a lot of the other factors that start really giving us a taste of liberation because we can actually experience what it's like to be free from the hindrances for some period of time. So it's pretty compelling. Well, and, to... and the great aspect too is this also really lets us know experientially for ourselves that we aren't the hindrances. We aren't yeah. the patterning because there's an awareness and we're in this, this uh, we're in the state of the fruition where we're really feeling the natural unification of mind and all the, the byproducts and all of these little ways we, our mind works aren't doing anything. They're just silent. Right. And for some people, the first time that they actually experience sustained silence in the mind is quite phenomenal. They just don't believe that's possible unless you're dead. And yet yeah. they are meditating and there's silence. There's no thoughts. Yeah, so that, that still is access concentration. So, so there can be a, a great subsiding of our normal way of knowing ourselves, which, which can be really quite profound. And again, this is also possible in, in Vipassana. But with a stable object, because there's a settling that is possible when we've got just this very simple object versus an object that's changing all the time, you're capped out with a momentary concentration object. It won't go beyond that into full absorption. So the last state, so now here we have the flashlight and we've, we're, we're focusing the beam and it's all going in one direction. In a full absorption, it's really more like taking our awareness and there becomes a real power behind it that we liken to a laser beam. So and with the flashlight, you're just dialing The flashlight is getting more and more and more <clears throat> unified. So it's dialing and down to that little itty bitty beam that's right. can go very far. And we, we did some research on laser beams when we first started teaching. And laser beams can cut through metal. All they are is light 
and light is cutting through metal, through steel. So to, to us, this is kind of, it's a great metaphor for what can happen to our awareness to cut through how we normally perceive reality, how we normally perceive ourselves. And there's a power behind it that without that level of concentration um, seems unlikely. Or, or there, there's a possibility of seeing things as they are, but the cutting through is powered by this level of, of concentration. And, and in a full jhana absorption, we don't have time today to talk about all the details of it. Brian's going to talk a little bit about that, that path. But um, it, is a full, it is a non-dual state. So a full jhana absorption is a state in which there isn't a sense of I. There's no sense of perceiver or, ob or object perceived as separate. Right. So there is awareness of the object. There's awareness of the jhana factors, which we'll talk about later. And that is, so we're aware it's not a zombie state, but um, there is a direct experience of being free from the sense of me, which is why it's so powerful, because we can have, even though it's a temporary, it's absorbed, so we're not engaged in life while it's happening. But to have that taste of freedom from the sense of how we know ourselves and yet to still know that you went on, that you're still alive, you didn't die, um, is very profound effect on the consciousness. And, and again, in the jhana absorption, there is no thinking at all. So it's a time that there is complete awareness. There's the meditative object, the genus of the jhana factors, and there's no thinking whatsoever. So that's an interesting place to be, where there's that awareness and no thinking for a sustained right. time. So we'll take a few questions before we break for lunch. You mentioned with the access concentration um, that phenomena arise sometimes. Could you say a little more about that, please? What kinds of oh. Phenomena? So the question is about what kinds of phenomena arise in access concentration. Well, and we won't get into defining all these since we'll talk about it this afternoon, but as the hindrances, there's, there's an inverse relationship between the hindrances, which are, you know, um, desire, aversion, no, I'm getting into the, the um, defilements. No. Um, desire. Desire. It's aversion. Aversion. Yeah, and then the uh, sloth. Sloth, sloth, and torpor, sloth and torpor. Restlessness, restlessness and, remorse, and remorse and doubt. And doubt. So those are, are dropping. As those drop, what's occupying our mind stream? Well, our, our, all of our awareness is still there. So this is really where you can see the purification, the jhana factors, which are the wholesome mind states that are there underneath the veils of our, our compulsive thinking patterns, basically, start showing through. So it's like the, the, the light of our awareness starts being experienced directly. And that is what's that's what we can start to experiencing the experience when the hindrances start dropping. So it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. And it's important to remember this is inherent. These are already in us. We're not actually us. getting it from somewhere. Yeah. We're simply moving things out of the way. You know, we're kind of wiping off the window so yeah. the sunlight can come through. Right. It's already there. It's yeah. more like that. And to experience that, that that is what we are already, it's pretty... Um, 
It's pleasant for one thing. <laughs> Does that um, describe it pleasant? <laughs> <laughs> it's a relief. It is. It's a relief. Yeah, it's a relief. Th things seem to feel like they're in their natural balance then too. Yeah. It's sort of getting, oh, I don't have to be in control of all this. Yeah. And that can be very comforting. There's, it's really letting the Buddha nature show shine through. And there's different specific ways to, that that's experienced that we'll, we'll talk about some of those. But um, uh, to know that it's always there, there is really empowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Um, how in, in, uh, in tradition that you've studied, how is the, once concentration develops to a very significant degree and um, into absorption concentration, how, how is that then used in Vipassana? So the question is, how does one use that then with Vipassana once the concentration's developed? Yeah, well, there's a lot of different um, views on the answer to that question. Um, there's more than one answer is the, yeah. the answer. <clears throat> so it, it, it depends. Some, sometimes you, you really want to do this as a standalone because you're really looking to deepen that experience. But absolutely, if, if you were to take on Vipassana practice, one, you know, one could do this practice for some period of time, get to the level of concentration you, you were hoping to get to, and then switch over. At, at some point, it does start dispersing the, the concentrated right. energy. So it isn't like once, for example, jhana arises, that when you, when you switch to Vipassana, that's going to stay consistent. It's not. Because, because you're then, now you're using because a momentary that flashlight, object. you're dialing it from the laser, you're d dialing it back, back down to towards the, the general beam, you see. So, um, anyway. There's yeah, there's different thoughts, like Parak Sayadaw, he really encourages people to do the entire Samatha path, which is what we did on the two-month retreat that is extremely extensive, um, at least at that time. But now we've heard that he's having, he's having people develop some concentration and then go over to Vipassana sooner. We also um, had the opportunity to meet with a monk in the Ajahn Chah tradition, Ajahn Chandiko. I don't know if anybody knows of him. He's based in New Zealand. He has a, a monastery there. And um, this, this practice, it's not very widely known, but this is very present in the Ajahn Chah lineage. It just, again, wasn't really talked <coughs> about much. And he has a wonderful article where he really talks about doing the Samatha and then doing some Vipassana and doing some of the Samatha. And so more like two feet walking up a mountain. And so we're, we're actually starting to experiment with this on our two-week retreats where we'll, the last few days we have people actually take the concentration they've developed and turn it towards, if they want to, turn it towards their own patterning and conditioning. And people are really um, having amazing insights that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. So. It's done both ways. It's done both ways. We should probably go. We need to break go for, to lunch. Yeah. We're late okay, for so. Um, um, Sean's got some announcements too. Yeah. Okay, sure. Would that be a good time? Yeah. Yeah, why don't you do it and then we'll okay. see our things. Thank you, Stephen and Tina. Uh, Namo, can you hear me? It's the wireless hand on the right hand. Can, can you hear me? No. You can use mine. Here. All right now. Sean? Yeah, it's all the way up. Yeah. Here. That, no, that one. 
Namo, there it goes. Cool. Thank you, Stephen and Tina. Uh, would like to. My name is Sean Fargo. I'm the events coordinator here at Spirit Rock. Uh, thank you for coming today. Uh, we're about to break for lunch, and I just have a few quick announcements. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org/donate.